Hi, it's Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you love digging into the week's political headlines, subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our reporters take you behind the scenes of some of the biggest stories from the campaign trail to the halls of Congress. Just for our Inside the Hive listeners, save 15% on a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair with promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off one year of all you can read, watch, and hear. AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok, and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Inside the Hive. This is Emily Jane Fox. I'm here with my buddy, co-host, Joe Hagen. Joe, it's been like 200 years. I got a dog jumping on me, kissing on me. She wants to say hi. We both missed you so much. Well, that is very sweet. I, I can see that dog. You can't in podcasting world, but you'll have to trust me that it's very cute. And having a dog interrupt this podcast, like right in the first five seconds, is somehow poetic. To me. I agree. It feels it feels full circle. You and I have we've talked offline. But we haven't talked on the podcast in some weeks. I'm really so happy to be back talking with you, and particularly in a time when we have so much stuff to discuss. Trump possibly getting indicted this week. We thought it was last week. Is it going to be next week? Um, Michael Cohen is back at the center of it, and it feels sort of fitting because you and I are rounding out on the third anniversary of taking over this podcast, which sometimes feels like a million years ago and sometimes feels like yesterday. And I feel like we've done some pretty good things in three years. Absolutely. I was just listening this morning uh, to De La Soul's The Magic Number. Three is the magic number mm. with my daughter, my teenage daughter. Ugh, I can't believe it. Who's just we, discovering it. When we started this podcast, you did not have a teenager. So that just gives you yeah, a concept. Yeah, you didn't have a daughter. That's true. She was she was just a figment of imagination. And now uh, you and I are recording this. It's quite early. I'm in pajamas. You're in a suit, which feels real East Coast, West Coast vibes. You have a magazine awards dinner tonight because you are an incredible features writer. And that brings us to a little announcement that we have here on Inside the Hive. Um after three years of doing this together, you and I are both taking a step back from the podcast. The podcast isn't going anywhere. It's taking a little bit of a break, a breather, while you and I get back to doing the thing that I think we both love to do the most, as much as we love to host in this podcast. I think you and I are both naturally magazine reporters, and it's a rare thing that we have both found something that we are absolutely head over heels obsessed with. And that thing takes a lot of time and energy. And um, so does making a podcast. And we've loved making this podcast. But I think you and I are both just ready to go back to doing our, our first love after this very, very, very fun love affair that we've had. It's the final dance 
of Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers of Inside the Hive. Mm, who, which one are you? I could be Ginger Rogers. Okay. I'd be happy to be either of them, honestly. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're, you know, it's a gender neutral podcast. Sure. So, yeah, we have been through a lot. When we started this podcast, a, uh, there was a pandemic just beginning. And then we were thrown into the maw of this thing, taking it from our good friend, Nick uh, Bilton. I think maybe we appeared on his podcast and then we just took the baton from there. And the world was just beginning anew, horribly. And uh, so we kind of ran with it and had, uh, you know, a Trump election and a pandemic double whammy. And wow, it's, you know, we should probably, Condé Nast should pay us for like, uh, you know, for therapy and, and trauma-related uh, uh, injury, just having to report on some of this well, stuff. Well, maybe we should pay pay it because... <laughs> yeah, because they gave like so much news. Well, in some ways, it was therapy for us. We were dealing with the world shut down. I kind of forgot until you just said that that Trump was still president when we started. It feels like so long ago, yeah, yeah. but he was still president. We went through a presidential election. And having this space to talk with you through all of that craziness was really helpful, particularly when you were at a time where you didn't have that much interaction. Um, and And our audience more than anything and and the feedback we've gotten and the support and the community that we've built has been so personally touching I know to both of us and was the reason why uh, we sweated it out and booked great interviews and kept up on all the news and so much has changed and I think we've both grown so much as people definitely as podcasters and reporters but but the world has shifted so markedly and shifted back so markedly yeah. In the last three years and, and to get to have this place to talk through it all with you, my friend, my brain trust has been a true gift and a wonder and getting to do that um, in front of an audience is scary and delightful and uh, has really been the gift of a life as a reporter. Yeah. I think one of our episodes was actually recorded while I was in the parking lot after getting my getting my first of. Uh, COVID vaccine. It was, I remember. So that just to give you a sense of like the things that have happened on this podcast, uh, it's been a, a learning curve, a very steep learning curve. It was like, uh, you know, we did it on the fly with um, Elmer's glue. Uh, we we kept it uh, going from week to week. And uh, it's been... Um, kind of amazing when I I would be afraid to listen to some of the first episodes of just how kind of uh, deer in the headlights the whole thing kind of was but well I mean I've like literally never listened to an episode in which I'm on I listen to your episodes um <laughs> but I could I could never but I it's hard I mean I just think back I remember batching a bunch of interviews being so pregnant I remember having contractions during one particular interview um, yeah. <laughs> I, so, so much has happened for me personally. I've, I got engaged, I got pregnant, I got married, I quit Twitter, which feels like sort of in that same level of importance. Delicious. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. you know, I recently deleted all of my tweets and I did that too. And it was so, it, what Ugh. a, what a, like, um, you know, 
that's an emotional release. Wait, I know nothing about this. In itself. So this may be really ignorant, but I feel like I was baptized. I don't know if this is what baptized feels being baptized feels like. Um, and I understand that that doesn't generally happen. Your word happen. for Twitter baptism. Yeah, I felt I felt uh, felt very cathartic. Also, when you do it, you know, Twitter doesn't allow you to do it, or at least I don't know how to do it through Twitter. So you have to do this third weird third party service, and uh, it, it has a capacity for for a week. So so for a week, half of your tweets, or however, depending how often you tweet, um, they get deleted, and then you have to go back again and delete the rest. And so the only tweets I had for a while were like from 2013 because everything between now and 2013 got deleted. And so I was looking at those and I was like, oh God, like you just shared so much more of yourself in 2013. I think that there was like, I don't, maybe I, it was just because I was super young and like a new reporter and I was a year out of journalism school. And so you just share more of yourself and maybe social media was a way more hospitable place at that point where... Uh, you didn't have, or at least I didn't have people making comments and sharing them around, and and um, and I, I didn't see anything that I would was embarrassed by, but I definitely saw my my own personal growth. Of well, do I need to share my opinions on the Emmy Awards ceremony yep. with my followers? Like who the who in the world cares what I think about that? Um, yeah, and and I sort of feel like that. At this juncture in my life, I don't, I don't know that I need to publicly share myself, and I, I want to protect that piece. The world's a different place, and politics are a different place. And uh, getting to talk through all of this with you is amazing, and I keep, I keep hoping to do that with you offline. Yeah, well, definitely, certainly, and I will say that. You know, you talk about that 2013 tweets and there was a time and now it seems almost funny that you even would reflect on it because it's become so baked into our culture. But like oversharing was Twitter's business plan, right? Everybody should share themselves and the more you share themselves, the more successful it will be. Right. And sort of the nadir of that is like uh, obviously like Elon Musk buying so far into it that he buys the thing, and now it's worth half what he paid for it. Um, and that seems like poetic in and of itself to watch uh, Twitter kind of implode under its own narcissism, which is, you know, fine by me and kind of a relief, uh, as we're discussing here. Um, and the culture is shifting. We're 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 in a very uh, unusual. We we have been in an unusual place for a long time since at least 2016 and watching our world kind of creative destruction vortex. And we don't never really know where it's going to be next. But uh, for instance, people listening to this podcast might be surprised that it's the last one with you and I as co-hosts. Uh, uh, and that's another uh, revolution. Haha. <laughs> but a good one, positive for readers of print because they're going to see a lot more of us. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. What are you guys excited to cover in the next few months? 
There's a new translation of the Iliad that's coming out, Emily Wilson. Oh. Really excited to see whether I can read the Iliad again, whether I'm that literate. I'm, I mean, the jury is out. I can't wait to hear Adam Driver go again in an Italian accent in Michael Mann's Ferrari. <laughs> he can't stop. I mean, and, and bless him. I can't wait. Molto bene. Molto bene. <laughs> <laughs> we hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. You really don't want to miss this. Don't. Don't miss this. Don't miss it. See you soon. <laughs> this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. How is your social battery right now? Is it bursting with energy or drained? How do you recharge it? Have you ever reflected on those questions? Therapy can give you the self-awareness to build a social life that doesn't drain your battery. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Find your social sweet spot with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Hive today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Hive. One of the things we, you and I talked about a lot on this podcast through the many episodes was what would happen with Trump. Mm. And uh, there were moments where we were either skeptical or optimistic that one day he would see justice of some kind. And is there such a thing as justice for Trump? And, you know, would that be pressing some button that would cause a civil war? There's a lot of talk about that, fear of it through the years. I've, I've always been skeptical that that would ever happen, mm. that that would be in it. Like people think that, oh, if he is in shackles, which he would love because that would just suit his own narcissistic needs to be seen, you know, perp walked or whatever. Would that lead to some kind of like uh, Jan 6-2, Wrath of Khan, right? I, I don't believe that personally, but wh where do you, as a great reader of Trump tea leaves, uh, Trump family tea leaves, tell us like where we stand as you understand it and where you think things are going to land with all this? Oh, gosh. I don't know. I, I don't know what's happening with the grand jury right now. And probably, I don't know, the second we end recording, there's going to be some answers to this question. So I don't, yeah. I, I think I've learned exactly. enough in my years reporting on Trump and talking about Trump here enough to not predict what's going to happen. I think that Trump is staring down the barrel of consequences for the first time in a way that I have been pretty sure that he hasn't going to, hasn't been going to face them in uh, in my years talking about him and reporting on him, um, not just in New York, but in Georgia and in the obstruction case um, with the Mar-a-Lago classified documents. We're at a point where we're still so far away from the election. Uh, I think the fact that it is bringing out a conflict with DeSantis this early on and that Trump is really... Uh, getting a chance to to workshop early nicknames and to imply all sorts of pretty damaging things about him and to really turn some of the Republican infighting out so early. Um, I know I've been seeing people who are Trump supporters uh, react not so positively and I don't know where it's going to go in terms of what this means for his his. Base, you know, his base is 
dwindling, but it's still mighty. Uh, and so I don't know what this will mean for him in terms of um, indictment. I don't know what it will mean for our country. I don't think even six months ago, if Trump had been indicted, I think there would have been far more of a rallying cry. I remember at some point in the fall when the feds executed the search warrant in Mar-a-Lago, I felt like, whoa, this is a tinderbox and I don't know what's going to happen. This is going to be a landslide for Trump. I don't have that feeling anymore. I think the further we get out from 2020, the less I can imagine going back there and the less I can imagine the country having an appetite for going back there. Um, But I do see a world in which Trump could win a nomination because of this, just the way that primaries work. And the yeah, even yeah. if Trump is still holding on to 20%, that 20% is going to be the 20% that shows up to vote in a primary. So, um, gosh, I guess I guess my answer for you is I don't know where this is going, but I, I can't see going going far backwards. And I can see a world in which at least one of these indictments brings consequence to Trump for the first time. And I've been talking about and asked a lot about over the last couple of weeks uh, Michael Cohen and I did the show The Circus this weekend with with our buddies who've been on the podcast a bunch of times, and we were talking about all about Cohen. And uh, in the Chiron introducing me, it said that I have written about Cohen more than three dozen times, and I basically fainted. Uh-huh. Like, <laughs> I guess I maybe blacked it out or have amnesia about the fact that, A, I've written anything three dozen times. I can't even imagine what that number would be like for uh, members of the Trump family. But, you know, the pace at which we were all cranking during that year is so crazy to me now. Um, And there is a lot to report on about their relationship and about just all the news of the fallout. And and Mark McKinnon, who was interviewing me, asked me, uh, is this about, is this all about revenge for Cohen? And I think there, there's some of that. Um, but I think when I, when I had been interviewing Cohen all the, all that time and I haven't talked to him in a while, um, but when we were in the thick of it and I was talking to him so often, the thing that was really ringing true to me was the fact that he was the only person in the entire circle who had felt consequences, real consequences. Uh, you know, a lot of people who had been around him felt social consequences or maybe some financial consequences. Um, but Cohen very clearly felt real consequences. He was sentenced to three years in prison and lost his law license and et cetera, et cetera. I, I would hope that someone else feels consequences for doing illegal things. Do I think that we need to see Trump doing a perp walk in order to know that there's justice in this world? I don't. I think that there's a world in which we can all make peace with what happened and what has happened to his life without seeing this. But I understand a need for people who know him and people who have just been party to him over the last six years to feel like uh, he is not above the law and he can't, in fact, shoot someone down the middle of Fifth Avenue and get away with it. Well, I'll, you know, the, the question will be, um, the next presidential election will be advertised by the Republicans as a, it needs to be, a, it's a change election, right? They'll, they'll be selling change. Now, the question will be, how radical of a change will people want, even, including Republicans, right? Um, do they want that psychodrama back in their life, right? That's what Trump sells, is psychodrama. And 
how you know, what will be the appetite. God knows, but I pray that it won't want that level of psychodrama. You know what, 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 what really bugs me, and maybe it's so different for, for news reporters who are in this every day in a way that you and I are not anymore, but there's all this criticism all the time that says like, oh, the media would love Trump to run again because it's great for business. And I can only speak to, for myself and like maybe a little bit you. I would like nothing less. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. I just... I just am tired of the conversation. Just let him go off into the sunset and live his life if I never had to write another word about it. Um, as busy as writing words about him has kept me and, and, and has propelled me to a level of doing what I'm doing and I'm so grateful for what I have done. But God, there's so many other things to write about and to talk about and for these brief shining moments on this podcast and in print that we have been freed from talking about this, I feel like I've gotten to write about and talk about so many interesting things and there's so many greater issues and more juicy stories to cover than Trump. And I just long for a world when the things that matter or the things that entertain are the things that we have time for. Yeah. And we, many of the stories that we've begun to write in print are about non-Trump things and have been, and they've been incredibly refreshing. And um, it's the nature of Trump in the fascist nature of Trump is that he would like to consume everybody's narrative, mm. right? And to the degree we let him uh, do that is the degree to which we, you know, seed all of our consciousnesses to him and to that psychodrama, right? Mm. Um, I think last week's news cycle was not a great uh, optimistic moment for us because he merely said he was going to be uh, arrested on Tuesday, on a Tuesday with no information, no facts, no base basis for it, and a lot of the cable news press followed him there, right? And, you know, uh, New York Times put it on a twenty-four, you know, to their credit. Um, and I did notice that as this, you know, micro or sort of uh, as this news plot was sort of chewed over, it didn't really spend a lot of time at the top of the New York Times's website. And if we think of the New York Times as sort of a bellwether for the rest of the press, which it often is, uh, that's good. So hopefully we will see some legal ramifications for Trump that I think are well-deserved. And, you know, um, I think that it will bring a lot of the political impact on the right will be uh, that there'll be a conversation on the right <laughs> about what, what's is this what we want and is this worth it and it will give political ammunition to other republican candidates who are trying to develop a storyline you know i just saw that chris christie is actually thinks that he might have some <laughs> chance in hell as well but who knows we're not we don't know and for the time being let's wrap that story up in a bow and put it over here under a rock for now. Speaking of, of wrapping in a bow, uh, I know you have a fancy award to get to. And I will say that this is definitely not goodbye for this podcast. It will be back in a mightier, greater form. And I'm so excited to see where it goes. And I know that you and I will be back. This is sure. Inside the Hive is inside our hive. 
and it is in the Vanity Fair family as you and I are. And I have no doubt that when it comes back stronger than ever, better than ever, greater than ever, uh, you and I, well, I can only hope that we will get to be part of that in some way and get to come on here and talk to each other and other colleagues and rap about the news of the day. And I know that there's going to be a moment whenever it is that you and I text each other and say, God, I wish we could talk about this on a podcast together. Maybe we'll get to. So um, I'm so grateful for you. And I'm so grateful for our audience uh, for letting us talk to each other, talk all these things out for, for the last three years. It's been such a joy and truly we've, we've been through it all. And I'm just so grateful for everyone's time and ears and thoughts with us as we worked through it. Yes. And thank you, Emily, for, uh, you know, keeping me balanced, keeping the balance and making it uh, a joy for me to pop on here and address address the world in the news it's been an adventure a major league adventure and uh one that i know we won't forget um and i'm excited to see uh what all the other talent we've got in the hive can do with this machine we do well we will see you when we see you take care and again thank you for everything farewell There are a lot of issues on voters' minds right now. Six big ones could help decide the election. Guns, reproductive rights, immigration, the economy, health care, and the wars overseas. On the Consider This podcast from NPR, we will unpack the debates on these issues and what's at stake. You can listen to NPR's Consider This wherever you get your podcasts.